0: listening to the mini market podcast presented by tell sports welcome back to another episode of the mini market podcast dalton here with connor and isaiah what do you know another three man weave fellas how we feeling today
1: we're back at it we're feeling good Excited for the pod. I think we got some interesting, fun topics to go over. And uh yeah, just ready to be back at it. Feeling lit, feeling light. 2 a.m. summer night.
0: So let's see a busy week of Minnesota Sports busy week ahead as well. Um, what do we want to get into first? Let's talk quick hitters, some signings. First year wild. Connor, you want to talk about their signing of the week?
1: Yeah, so I'm at the bar with a couple buddies from work, and I look at my phone, and it says, "Wild Bolster Team with addition of Bend," and it's like Jay Bend, you know. So I'm like, "Oh my god, the Wild just added Jamie Bend, an incredible player for the Dallas Stars." I'm stoked. I'm like, "Oh, this is a move that I'm so excited for them to make to come, only to come and find out that it's Jordy Bend." Um, a super average player defenseman for who's been playing for the, uh, the Canucks the last few years. So that was a bummer. And then it was funny because the guy I was standing next to got the same notification from ESPN mere seconds later and went through the exact same process. It was like, holy shit, the Wildsaur signed Jamie Benn. Let's go. Um, only to have us both be super disappointed. Um, I think Jordy Benn is like a fifth or sixth defenseman. He'll add maybe a little bit of depth, but I don't think he's going to be like a huge impact player. he would be great if he just came out of his shell, but yeah, that's kind of where that signing is at. Uh, nothing too crazy there from the Wild, but what a rush for about a half a second.
2: Two things on that. Number one, it's not that not bad that he was low on that depth chart. The Canucks have been sweet for you know a few years now, really sweet, right? Just amazing team. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> and then two on that is what's your cell provider do you have 5g like how did you get that notification before your friend
1: shout out verizon on that one i'm um, still rocking the iphone 8 so Ooh. um that Not siri not super <laughs> impressed i don't know should we check <laughs> but yeah so kind of big news on the front um my cell phone game that's that's on the on the cool side of things right now
2: Wild kind of taking a twins approach, filling in on the back end of their depth chart for defensemen this offseason.
1: That is actually a very good comparison. Like twins rotation, wild defensemen this offseason have been near, near, mirror images of each other. So, verbal meme, Isaiah?
2: Verbal meme. You <laughs> want to
1: do it, Dalton? Do it. It's all you.
2: You got it. You're a verbal okay. meme guy. <laughs> okay, one arm. Twins, pitching staff. Other arm, handshake, is wild oh. defenseman. And then it says, in the middle, signing average players.
1: Bingo.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's go down the Minnesota waiver wire. The Vikes, bringing back Everton. Ike, <laughs> your favorite DN. Back in 97, Michael Pierce gave up number 97 for Everson to be back. Respect, respect That's your respect. elders, Everson. Is he going to be, a, is, are they going to retire 97? Is he at that point? No, I feel like he's at the same point no. as like the Williams wall. As far as well, like respect, he'll just go down as a guy that everyone loved, but not necessarily an all timer.
1: It's kind of a slight catch too. In the NFL, they don't retire jerseys really because they need so many numbers. So I think I guess ring safe.
0: of honor, whatever you want to yeah. call it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think, think? I think for sure, honestly, I think
2: he's for sure a ring of honor guy. He's been through a lot with this team. He's, he's recorded a ton of stats, stats and sacks and rushes. And, you know, he's great off the edge in pass and run. He has been to, I think two, uh, NFC championship games with the, with the team. Uh, he's been consistent throughout. I feel like he's kind of has to be, I don't know. What do you guys think? Where was he not on that 09 team?
0: Ever since started in 2010. That was he was drafted mm. in the 2010 draft. Mm. Mm. So one yeah,
1: of so the best championship. Yeah. But I think for me it's hard. I'm I'm under the strong recency bias right now. Like everything kind of has gone the last couple of years, like a bit of a downward spiral for him personally as well as uh professionally. So it's been it's been a little harder, but I do think back to the times where you know. Oh, was it 2017 when he like led the league in sacks, something like that? And so, you know, I think he's got a decent case to be in the ring of honor, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with some players. That, like, if Kevin Williams isn't in the ring of honor, I don't think Everson's going to be in the ring of honor. Like, I think Kevin Williams is a better player than Everson was. Um, they just had different roles, so then the stats may not support that as much because Everson was like a rush the passer, get sacks. Whereas Kevin Williams was like a run stopper, but he could also get sacks. Like, I think he was a really underrated player for the Vikings defense there in some good core years.
0: I'm looking at the Vikes all time sacks leaderboard. Number one, John Randall. Two, Chris Dolman. Three, Jared Allen. And four, Evathan.
2: Evathan.
0: He's 11 Dude. sacks behind Jared Allen. Jared Allen had 85 and a half in his time with the Vikes. Everson, 74 and a half. 11. Sacks. Any chance he passes Jared Allen this season?
1: No way. No way. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Eleven sacks this year. (laughs) I think Isaiah has a good chance to pass Jared Allen as Everson does this year in all time sacks. Well, I got good hands
2: off the edge. So quick feet. Quick feet, good hands. Explosive. Mm
0: -mm -mm. We make fun of him though. He had six sacks last year. Can you name the Vikes that had six or more sacks last season? There weren't a any big... Hey,
2: i was gonna say Four. NA.
0: Leader Yannick Ngakwe with five. Oh, I said like I called game. him a digbo, by the way. That was not what I meant to say. Adenabo was, was, was the other, he's in second place, three and a half. Three and a half led the team in terms of oh. guys that finished the season with the Vikes.
1: How many Vikes. players, if you have it in front of you, how many players had sacks for the Vikes last year? Like, is it like 20 list of like 20 people? I feel like the injury total
0: probably spread out the sacks quite a bit but still there were 12 that had at least half a sack but only one two three four five six guys that had more than one sack so there were six guys that either had half or one sack on the season
1: yeah that's rough yeah. yeah there's a there's a drill that we used to do in a high school that we called gata and it stands for get after their ass and we needed our d our our defensive front seven to Gata last year on quarterbacks. We did not do a good job of getting after them. No.
2: Our, yeah. Playing the Vikings for quarterbacks was like literally a dream last year. It was like a yeah. soft secondary and a front four that got zero pressure on its own. Like you if we're talking about things that I could do, that might be something I could do. Quack. To just stand in there and deliver. Uh, one more thing on Everson. Oh, yeah. I feel like the Ring of Honor for and, and same with Kevin Williams. The Ring of Honor for the Vikings, especially as a defensive lineman, is like feels like hollowed ground. Like it's just
0: That's the inner circle of the Ring of Honor.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's different than I feel like a lot of other teams, uh, Hall of Fame. And even a non, like you said, a non- D lineman Hall of Fame is like it's just a higher standard here. So it's no knock to be like, are they maybe are they not? Because it's it's such a prestigious, I think, place to land.
0: Here's a comparison. Everson Griffin, Brian Robinson. Who would have the edge in terms of getting into the ring of honor first? If or neither. Would you put neither in?
1: I think Griffin. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it's like- not that close.
1: Yeah, I feel like B-Rob was a really cool personality, and he was a good player, but I think Everson was a little bit,
0: uh, a little bit better on the field. B-Rob's tied for fifth all-time in sacks with the Vikes. Right there. That's, that's actually impressive. What's the number, though? 60. He's tied with Kevin Williams, so he's like 14 back of Everson.
2: I think okay, that sells everything you need to know about Kevin Williams, getting that that's- many sacks from the interior.
0: Exactly what I was gonna say. Come on, Connor. Come on, baby. I was was just
2: saying. Well, that supports my point. You and I are gonna have a good Vikes season this year. I think you and I are gonna have a good Vikes season.
1: Once Kirk starts slinging it, we're gonna be feeling
2: (laughs) so good. Oh. Do we think Kirk's ass uh, throws off Kev uh, Everson's chances of getting into the Ring of Honor? Does that tarnish his Vikings reputation?
1: No, I think they will sweep that right under the rug (laughs) long term. Yeah, they they're gonna ignore the hell out of that. I'm pretty sure. It's a sharp point, though. It's hard to argue
2: at times. Like it's really well written. I thought
0: to the point for sure. (laughs) I think once Kirk's time is over with the Vikes, like assuming they don't win a Super Bowl or something, it will be sort of a black box of Vikings history. Like nobody will talk about it. Nobody Mm -hmm. will try to like. It'll be forgotten. I think Kirk will be forgotten as a Vikings quarterback.
1: Yeah. I think one thing that will be interesting when he's done being a quarterback is like the three years after what we have for a quarterback situation, whether it's like, you know, we go draft a high player or we bring in a free agent, whatever it is. I think that that will have a huge impact on his legacy with the Vikings. Like if if we go way down after him, like we try to bring in a, a decent player, And we go way down or if we bring in like a gus ferratt type you know and it's just like screw it i feel like that will that will cause him to blend in more whereas if we try to go get somebody to fill his role and they suck then then i think people may appreciate it's kind of like presidencies i was just gonna say you don't fully appreciate them until like 20 years after were you really going to say that? I, I
2: was literally, I was going to say that uh, Kirk Cousins is going to be John Adams. He's just going to be sandwiched between two greats. That uh, <laughs> it's, it, You kind of forget that John Adams was even a president sometimes. He had George Washington, who I'm calling Teddy Bridgewater, just the face of the franchise. Super oh, likable. my God. Incredible oh. Guy, <laughs> true leader. Oh. George Washington, Teddy B. And then I think oh your Thomas man. Jefferson is going to be Callan Mond. So there's going to be some shining years right after Kirk leaves. And I think it's just going to be like, well, like you said, black box doesn't exist. Uh, who remembers John Adams? They had to make an HBO series for anybody to even realize that he was president.
1: Um, I think that that's, that's the closest this podcast has ever gone from a three man weave to a two man weave. Dalton was <laughs> ready right to walk off, if not cause physically, physical bodily harm to himself um, that's a bold strategy, Cotton, George mm-hmm. Washington. I think okay. you have to say Fran Tarkington is George Washington. Okay. Fair. We'll
2: move. We'll move it back a little bit. We'll yeah. call Kirk, We'll call him William H. Taft.
0: Yes. We're somewhere Sandwich in the middle.
2: <laughs> Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt. I think that is a perfect comparison. Am I right, Dalton? You can get on board with that. <laughs> uh,
0: I like Woodrow Wilson. I, I cause he was yeah. an academic. He was yeah. one of the few... I think he's the only Kellen president Mond. with a PhD. Right. Kellen
1: Mond. Will be... I would not... No, I don't know if Kellen Mond is an ap- academic. Is he? Is he like... Was he a good student at AM?
0: Wasn't Woody Wilson first and then Teddy Roosevelt second in terms of this comparison? So... No, it goes Teddy, Taft, Woody. Okay. So, Woody. and I mean, if you're going to either give
2: it to... So I guess we have to say Case Keenum would be... T. Rose, and I think that is super fair. I think they had a similar outlook on life; like they were willing to grab the bull by the horns, and just kind of make whatever they could out of whatever they had. I think that's very fair. And then, and then you have like Woodrow Wilson is going to be like the more everybody everybody remembers him more than Taft.
0: And I should go back. I think Woodrow Wilson had some like racist stuff come out. So my my quote of saying I like yeah. Woodrow Wilson isn't a great look yeah, on me. Yeah, we're gonna
1: clip that. <laughs> We're going to
0: But I like that he was an academic. I like that one aspect. Mm-hmm, of him. Mm-hmm. I Just also... like a true
2: academic to be super racist, right? Dalton? <laughs> who, who? How many years have my PhD? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, um, looking at the list of presidents, didn't realize we were going to go off on this, but could you argue it might be a Roosevelt-Truman-Eisenhower situation mm. where Truman is kind of remembered not as great for a pretty explosive reason if you will (laughs) um fdr i think uh, most people would argue is one of the greatest presidents of all time right like he served like what terms so or teddy b either yeah Um, i'm good with that and we like ike so i mean one of the best slogans of all time would be eisenhower (laughs) there so um yeah i think maybe it might be the roosevelt truman eisenhower trilogy that this might be comparable to we'll see though right we'll see there's just a lot of these. Like, if you go through this list, you could keep making this
2: comparison till you're blue in the face. So, I'm going to do one more, Connor. I like that one. I'm going to go Nixon to Ford, Carter. Sure. Nixon Ford Carter. Nixon Ford Carter.
1: Okay. Honestly, Gerald Ford is one of the presidents I forget about. Exactly. Always. That's going to be Kirk Cousins. But are we saying Teddy Bridgewater is not a crook? Nixon. That's true. That's I still true. don't
0: get why people like Teddy so much. He was like 10% better than Christian Ponder. No, But everyone what? just destroys Christian Ponder. And then Teddy's this like hero? I don't understand it. He had one decent season.
2: So, you, So you would put Teddy Bridgewater and Christian Ponder in like the same realm of quarterback?
0: I think they're close. And I think people treat Teddy like he's this all pro guy and Christian Ponder like he's the scum of the earth. And you look at you look at their stats, their win-losses and everything. I don't know. They were, they're were they not as bad as people. People talk like it's this massive gap between them. I don't think Teddy was that good.
2: Teddy's a starter in the league. He's had a long career. And Ponder was out once the Vikings are done with him.
0: He bounced, Teddy that- bounces around, but what has he ever done? Like He had a five good games with the Saints, which then got him a job with the Panthers, where he was terrible. Well, that team is just...
2: I mean, come on. You got to be realistic with, with the group around you a little bit.
0: I don't know. I just don't get why people still love Teddy Bridgewater. Like he was just another quarterback that sort of came and went. It's because we feel bad for him because of his knee injury. Like what did he ever do?
1: All right. So I think a new little game we could just play here is um, if you're looking at the Google Doc. So the quarterbacks I listed. So that's kind of quarterbacks who were part of the team 10 years ago or more. I think we go through and compare him to a president. And I'd like to start with Brad Johnson, who was the quarterback. Uh, let's, actually, let's start with Dante Culpepper, high-prize guy, big name for us. He was quarterback from, like, 2000 to 2004. If you're going to compare him to a president, who do we
0: got? Dalton? Is Obama... is that two on the nose (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) uh to answer that yes it is but obama Obama was
0: like a fun he was you know he played basketball while he was in office kind of like you know got the younger generation sort of vibes not the old institution style dante was out there having fun throwing deep balls getting his roll on uh 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 Mm -hmm. deep balls Mm -hmm. that's one of the
1: most fun things that the the Dante Culpepper role after a touchdown.
0: I'm trying to think of like fun presidents, and I don't have a I don't feel like there's a great backlog of like fun politicians from the nineteen hundreds. So working with recents and I feel like Obama was probably the fun guy. I'm gonna go with
1: uh Thomas Jefferson for the same reason, kind of revolutionized um the 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 kind of politics like he was a big like changing i'm looking at it the same lens that you did dalton where it's kind of like changing the position like throwing the deep ball he was all about foreign affairs and like making the u.s connecting and all over the world so i'm going t jeff
0: you not only know presidents you know their policies that's impressive
1: that is impressive i'll go roosevelt
2: uh similar reason for dalton he's a rider he's out there doing oh sorry teddy roosevelt we're finding out he's the only president i know uh, but he, you know, he just was willing to brave the wild, wild west. And I think that uh, similar to a gunslinger mentality
1: of Dante Culpepper,
2: speak softly
1: it. and carry a big stick. That's a great one, Ike. Really good. Kind of put a wrap on that one, too. Well done. Um, next, T-Jack. Cheers. T-Jack. Anyone that jumps out at you? I do have one. I can go first if you want. I've got one. It's probably in bad taste. Go ahead, Ike. JFK, cause he dead. Well, didn't his wife like shoot him?
0: He died in a car oh, yeah. accident, I think. That, but he got no, shot. Well, oh, no, so no. did
1: T Jack. You're talking about T Jack. T Jack is doesn't there isn't there that famous quote, whether it's true or not, that tavaris Jackson's wife shot at him, uh, or he was like holding the gun at her. This may be a total like blasphemy, but
0: for just spreading the gun her her. and
1: she was like go ahead and shoot you miss your target all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, think that was that's like the it was. story going around cuz yeah. T-Jack
0: died in a car accident. So did JFK. So I think this is anyway, spot on. That was spot on. Thanks. RIP to T-Jack, RIP to old Jeffy Kens.
2: Perfect.
1: Um I was going to go, go Herbert Hoover. Um if you know anything about history, Herbert Hoover was like the president during the depression. Which I think could be applicable at some points too. When when T Jack was a quarterback here, it was just like a really sad time. Hooverville or Hooverville, Hooverville. was yeah. a, was a bad situation there. So Hoover vacuums
0: he, and T Jack sucks. We'll double <laughs> hand there you there.
1: go. A couple more. Um, let's go with another bigger one. Brett Favre.
0: Well, this one's obvious. It's Bill Clinton.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Slippery Bill. All right, nothing more to say there. Yep. I think we're all in agreement on that. (laughs) All right. How about um, Christian Ponder? This is where
0: you dive into a random president again. Just somebody that nobody ever remembers. Well, John Tyler, didn't his entire cabinet quit on him because he was so (laughs) bad? I feel like the team sort of quit on Christian Ponder.
1: (laughs) That is a really good comparison. That's, that's an is- affront on his leadership, which
2: wouldn't happen to Teddy. Teddy B, that's all I'm saying.
1: It's a good point. Um, part, of me, part of me wants to go Andrew Johnson a little bit because if I'm remembering correctly, was Ponder right after Favre or was he before? Or were they not that close? So my whole angle that I'm trying to push here that may just not land. I think he was kind of the year after Favre. He was like 2011. We can look this up. Following Lincoln. I just did, yeah. Following Lincoln, tough act to follow. So Andrew Johnson had to do that. Christian Ponder had to do that. They were both kind of no-names. You'll forget about them in five years type of guys. So, But the Tyler one, that's good. (laughs) And that was talking presidents. And that was presidents and QBs. Leaders of our nation.
0: <laughs> you listen to the mini market pod, you don't know where it's gonna go. We don't know where it's gonna go. We have we no idea. Let's stick with football, I guess. Let's let's go to the gophers. Gophers opening the season this Thursday versus Ohio State. Looking at the odds, they're currently 13 and a half point dogs to the Buckeyes. It's PJ Flex, what fifth season? Well,
2: I think technically his fourth because he had actually I would say even his third because he had a year zero and then last year didn't count so it's his third season, so he hasn't even had a full recruiting class. Just keep that in mind this year, folks.
0: I do think this is his first season with a well, full recruit. <laughs> if we're going, if we're, if we unless we're doing Ike's math, if we're, if oh, we... so this is year one, maybe year one, right? Because he didn't recruit um, Tyler Johnson and Tyler Johnson was on the team two years ago. So, mm-hmm. walking that forward, I think so. First year with there's, this full squad. There's probably a couple
1: guys who are like redshirted freshmen in like that aren't his recruits in theory. Because they got general, an extra like, year. Yeah. The most of the most of this team should be guys that he recruited. So, that'll be interesting to say or to see how that goes. Cause Bateman was his recruit. That was actually a big mm-hmm. recruit. So, he'd be nice to have this year off the record. Um, but <laughs> um, one thing that I would argue is the are the golfers already want to know because there's no other rivalry right now in head coaching that that's stronger than Scott Frost versus PJ Falk. Those guys hate each other, and like Scott Frost has been well known of like making fun of the gimmick stuff. He's like, we don't need to do that, which is ironic because he's like 12 and 31 as a head coach, so maybe it's time to start considering it or 12 and 21 I think something like that um but personally I hate Scott Frost I hate Nebraska is one of those teams that I feel like we talk a lot about in sports like the general consensus of their team is like they were good 20 30 years ago and they their fans still like hold on to that like they they think they're still like power in college sports and college football and so to watch them lose to Illinois with a brand new head coach— granted, Brett Bielema, long-time good coach, coach, good coach—but a brand new coach doesn't even have any of his own recruits, really. That was that was bliss. That was that. I bet PJ was jacked watching that game. And honestly, Illinois had a backup quarterback in the game, and they scored like twenty-one unanswered with a backup quarterback. And then Nebraska kind of made a late comeback and all that, but. The game wasn't as close as the score indicated. So I'd say the Gophers might even be 1-0 already because Nebraska lost, and they may be creeping into a rivalry with the Gophers.
2: Texas, Tennessee, Nebraska, rank them from most to least annoying fan bases.
1: I think it's hard. I'll go least, and I will say Tennessee. And then... As much as I don't want to, I'll put Nebraska to Texas is the worst, right? Like, I don't think there's a way to get around that Texas UT fans still think Vince Young's on the roster somewhere. They just don't know which uniform he's in. Like, it's unbelievable how disconnected they are with like the national, the national scene of how average they are as a team right now. And I love it. Okay. Follow up rank those same three
2: teams from most to least back. Dalton,
1: take this one away.
0: Most to least back? Nebraska's the least back by far. And then I think you go Tennessee and then Texas. Yeah,
1: I think Texas is the most back. Like, Tennessee was
0: bad last year, weren't they? Yeah, they fired their coach after like three games or four games. Yeah, they get Bruce Pearl out there coaching football. But you think about the way like, society has changed since when Nebraska was really good at football. That was back when football players were just these like, tough kids, like, I'm just here to play, play ball and like, tackle people. Now, how do you recruit a high school kid to Nebraska? Like You have the boring uniforms, arguably the most boring uniforms in all of college football. There's nothing to do in Nebraska anywhere I don't know how you convince a four or five-star recruit to come to you when they have all these options everywhere else with cool uniforms, cool cities, cool campuses. That's a tough job.
1: Here's my thought too. Nebraska brought back a coach that their alumni like. They didn't bring in a coach that their players are going to like. And I think that's an issue that happens with storied quotes around that, obviously. Storied programs is they think they're bringing back Scott Frost who's going to like tear it up recruiting he's going to coach him up he's going to do all this stuff but really he was down at central florida which is a bomb destination probably to go to school and they had a really good team and he brought in good recruits then he goes up to nebraska big shocker here not as many people want to go to nebraska and it's like at what point is it the coaches the coach was riding the coattails of maybe being in Florida and having access to all these recruits in his backyard. Now he's up in Nebraska who there's probably less D one desired recruits there. And so now you're trying to pull people from where they live or where they're like, maybe comfortable to come up to Nebraska. He might not be the right guy to do that, but from alumni standpoint, they love him, right? Like he was one national championship there. He was a savior, all this stuff. But just because you were good on the field doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. And I think Scott Frost is showing that. Rah, rah, rah.
0: Rah, rah, rah. So you know what but we're anyway. going to do? We're going to run through the Gophers 2021 schedule, give you an official mini market Minnesota Gophers record prediction. I'll give you guys the game. You tell me win or loss. If you guys disagree, I'll break the tie. We'll run through it here. So starting on Thursday, Ohio State, win or loss, boys?
1: I'd like Um, to just say a couple things to consider. Freshman quarterback from Ohio State, five-star freshman quarterback. So he's a new starter, which could be a bit of a hurdle. Will Huntington Bank Stadium be rocking at 7 p.m. on a Thursday? I hope so um, Huntington bank gets me into a whole nother discussion that that's way less cool than TCF way less cool. I don't,
0: I don't know if I agree with that. Why not? Really? They're both three syllables. Huntington, TCF. Oh, Huntington. I mean, that's, that's brutal.
1: That's a boring bank name, but I think people are just going to call it the bank anyways, which is going to get confusing with, with us bank, but whatever. Um, with that said, I think we're probably in agreement on this one. It's going to be an L. I just think it might be closer than people think because Ohio State might have to go through some things. Like if we're going against the spread, I may take the Gophers.
2: Okay. I had to stick with you there because if you were going to say Gophers win week one, no. I, we were going to have to throw this whole segment out because we, you and I just were not going to
0: agree. I don't know. <laughs> We're vibing, dude. We're vibing. We're still vibing. Vikes though. Vikes.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. 0 one Second game of the season versus Miami. The Canes? Nope. Miami of Ohio.
2: (laughs) This should have been the week one game. Like in a normal season, this is who the Gophers play first. Knock the rust off a little bit. As we've seen, these games sometimes with the Gophers have been closer than they should be because they're like the first game of the year. So I say Gophers are going to win this one kind of big.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think the Gophers' offensive line, pending health, should be pretty good this year. And Mo Ibrahim might be one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. So this is a game where I see them just pounding the heck out of that rock, and uh, and I think they're gonna they're gonna kind of handle Miami of Ohio.
0: One and one. That brings up the first road game of the year, matchup with the Pac-12, the conference of champions. Uh -uh. Going into Boulder. Play Colorado. The Buffs.
1: Buffs. For this one, I honestly, hand up, don't know a ton about the Buffs in terms of how good they were last year. um, That sort of thing. But I think this is going to be a good game. I think this is going to be a fun game. And I think that the Gophers are going to squeak out in a close one. My understanding that last year, Colorado was pretty good. They got destroyed in their bowl game last year, but before that they were three, four, and one, I think. So I think the, the Golfs are going to squeak this one out and uh, it's going to be close and it's going to be a hard fought game. I think Colorado is going to be a decent team this year in a shitty conference.
2: Great team, great conference. But I think I agree. Uh, Gophers are going to kind of rely on their. This is going to be a Tanner Morgan, right? This is going to be a game where he's going to have to win it for us. So, but I think he will.
0: And it's going to be the Buffalo's first test. Like they're playing Northern Colorado for their first game, and then it's the Golfs. So they won't be as battle tested as, as Skyuma at that point. Let's see. Okay. Coming back home, game four. Golfs are two and one. They're playing Bowling Green. Ike, what do you think?
1: W. Gophers by
0: 25.
1: Bowling green's bad. So if we don't, if we don't win that game, this whole thing, this whole segment's going to look really bad because we're going to have a lot more L's than we predict.
0: All right. Three and one. Now we're back in conference, get on the plane, head to Indiana to play Purdue.
1: This one's a tough one. I, I think we lost to Purdue last year, didn't we? Um, I'm gonna go the Gophers by a slight margin. Um, the Purdue lost Randall Moore, who was awesome last year, like kind of a Tyreek Hill type of player, where he's you know smaller but really explosive, super fast. I think that's gonna hurt them. I do, I do appreciate the direction Purdue seems to be trending up, kind of like the Gophers. So ultimately, I think the Gophers take this one, but I think it's gonna be another one of those knockdown dragouts. Yep, Gophers
2: did poorly last year in, like, overtime games. They kind of had some tough luck. I'm looking for that to switch this year. Mm-hmm. So law of averages. Yep, law of averages. Uh, I'll go Gophers as well.
0: Four-game win streak, 4-1. and one. Now they're ranked. Then yep. Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers cool. come to the bank October 16th.
1: Gophers by three scores. Yeah. I was going to say,
2: Connor, if you don't say Gophers on this one, you might have to retire from the podcast. Just (laughs)
1: football. Yeah, I I think, and and who knows, maybe they'll turn around. I think Nebraska is not a good football team. I don't think they're well coached. I don't really like them. So just all in general, not a huge Nebraska guy. I don't even respect them. That's the thing. I don't like Wisconsin. I don't like Iowa, but I can at least respect them. Nebraska, no respect.
0: Now they're 5-1. and one. The P.J. Fleck to USC rumors are heating up. Uh-oh. Maryland comes to town.
1: Every year, the Gophers have one slip-up game, right, that you think they probably should win, but they don't. I don't think this is that game. I'm nervous about Tua's brother because he's athletic. He's good. He's a very good quarterback, I think, but I think the, the Gophers have enough to hang on and beat a pretty average, two below average Maryland team. And we're riding high, baby. We're riding high. I think it's too much. I think Gophers lose this
2: one. This is that letdown game, I think.
1: do
0: Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So this game is sandwiched. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a loss. I think coming off the Nebraska high... They beat Scott Frost. Rah, rah, rah. Then they have Maryland-Northwestern, which they might be looking ahead a little bit to that Northwestern game in Northwestern. So I think it's a loss too. Five and two. Like I said, going to Evanston to play the Northwestern Wildcats.
1: I don't think there's a worse home field advantage in all of sports than Evanston, Evanston, whatever... Illinois, like where Northwestern plays, that is the worst fan attendance in division one football. I would think like that is just brutal. Even though when they're good, they don't sell out. Like it's just unbelievable how much they don't care about football. And with all the nerds there, they're probably like literally anti-football. So kids getting stuffed in the lockers at Northwestern still. Um, I'm going to say the Gophers are going to, I was going to say this would be their slip up game after beating Maryland. But if we have them losing to Maryland, they're going to bounce back and they're going to beat Northwestern, I think.
2: I think uh, it's a reverse psychology situation for their home field advantage where teams come in, they're so used to having packed stadiums with super passionate fan bases. And like it throws them off to be in this sort of like half-empty stadium where nobody who's even there really even cares. And it's it's this funky... Uh, upside-down world for a big program with a, a good fan base like the Gophers. So I'm going L here, too.
0: I don't see them losing two in a row to Maryland and Northwestern, so I'm going with Connor. Get a W, right the ship. Six and two. If they do, they'll, like, hot seat for B.J. Flack.
1: If you lose to Maryland and Northwestern in year four or five, One. like, that's a
0: bad that's a bad spot to be
1: at it's
2: his first year
0: all right so we've got him at six and two Illinois comes to town November 6th
2: like I said Bielema's a good coach but I just don't think this team has the talent that the gophers have or the experience for that matter like this is an older gophers team at this point you have a lot of guys who've played a lot of games uh, so I think they're gonna they're gonna win this
1: one yeah I think there was a big disadvantage for playing Illinois early in the season this year where you don't have a ton of tape on how they're going to run their offense and that sort of thing. I think by this time in the year, the Gophers should have a pretty good scouting report on what things might look like, and I think the Gophers are going to take this one. Um, the only thing that concerns me is what Dalton talked about before, kind of that overlook game where, like, Iowa, big rivalry, the pig game is up next. Are we going to overlook them? And I don't think, I don't see it happening, but I am wary of it so w for the gophers 7 and 2 at this point we're probably ranked like 16 17 in the country right
0: potential to win the big 10 west maybe depending the on these is last three the potential games potential
1: to win the big 10 west pretty much until like the last and everyone's in contention yeah. still almost yeah. right because like you haven't played as many big 10 west com- opponents but yes
0: potential baby here we go well, here's a question for you. So these last three games are tough Got at Iowa, Indi- at Indiana. That might not be as tough, maybe. Um, and then home versus Wisconsin. What's a, what's a best and worst-case scenario you see into these last three games? So through nine games, we've got them at seven and two. Is, is there a world where they're eight and one? Is there a world where they're like four and five? I think worst-case
1: scenario they're five and four best case scenario they're eight and one because really i mean after that ohio state game i think they they have the chance to be competitive in every game i don't and i said that i think they'll be competitive in ohio state game but ohio state's just too good right like they just they're going to be a national tender contender or national title contender this year so i think eight and one's the best i think five and four is kind of the bottom The worst case scenario, pending like a huge injury, as every team is doing the same thing, right? Like,
2: I don't see them getting through these last three games better than one and two.
1: I think Indiana's just don't see any way around it. Yeah. I don't think people understand Indiana's like on the up and up. Their Their quarterback is really, their young
2: quarterback is really good. He's a playmaker gamer.
1: Yeah. Like I see, I think in the last three games, two and one would be that would be us doing extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can beat Iowa. I'm. I always think we can beat Iowa every year, and then we proceed to not do it. But um, I don't know. Iowa just doesn't scare me as much as as the other two, to be honest. Like I think I think we can we can beat either Iowa or Indiana. We'll lose to Wisconsin, and then we'll probably lose to the other one. Yeah, 1 and 2 is how I see the last exactly. Three games going, but I think there's a chance for if we beat Iowa, we're riding high. Maybe we maybe we have a going to overtime and our luck's better this year and we beat Indiana, but then I think ultimately we just have the worst time matching up against Wisconsin size.
2: I say if we beat Iowa, there's no chance in hell we win either of the next two games. It's just going to be like so too much out. too much like excitement around the program we've seen it this is what we do as gophers as as just minnesota sports teams it's like once you get people's attention in any sport that's when you have your worst game of the year is the the one game where the whole like national sports media is watching is the game that we have like our biggest letdown so i think we do have a chance of beating iowa like you said connor I don't like watching it when we play Iowa. It's always some, like, it's just a frustrating game when the Gophers play Iowa. They just can't get anything going offensively. And like, but Iowa can't really either. Like, it's just like they're weird games when we play Iowa. And I don't love watching them. So, yeah, one and two, I think. Those last three.
0: So, eight and four? Is eight and four a success? It seems like a letdown. Like I, I'm not. I, would, I don't know if I'm excited about the program going forward after an eight and four schedule or eight and four record. Because you look at this schedule, it's one of those years where there's no Penn State, there's no Michigan. But the oh, thing is, I, I should add Michigan two in two that list of
1: Ohio State. I know like I know. that's the thing. Like if we have Michigan instead of Ohio State, like ten and two, look out because Michigan sucks. Like I think I think they're another program that could go into yeah. Nebraska's thing and say like they They've they've ridden the coattails. If we have Penn State and Ohio State in the same year, that's just going to be a tough year, like right? Like Penn state's Penn State got over that hump, right? The, the, the hump that like Nebraska, Michigan, Texas want to get over. Penn State has gotten over that. Like they are, I would say, back against all odds, by the way, like, seriously. They were against the eight ball pretty hard, and should say they set themselves against the eight ball pretty hard. Yeah, Penn State, Ohio State. If you get them on your schedule in the same year, that's just going to suck because they're good. But I think the schedule with Ohio State is tough. Like, I think my my thing is that I think if they go eight and four and they beat Wisconsin, I think that's a success. I think people in Minnesota would be happy with that. Like, I think a lot of people obviously this is hyperbole, but if we went two and 10 and beat Iowa and Wisconsin, I think there'd be a lot of people in Minnesota that'd be like, Hey, there's worse things out there because like we just so badly want to beat our rivals and we just can't do it. Like Isaiah hit the nail on the head with Iowa. Like, every time we play at Iowa, it's, it's first of all, a boring football game. Like it's just a 13, six type of atmosphere where the defensive struggle, they're just battling back and forth. Or I should say the offense struggles, and it's just a defensive battle. Um, but I think if they if they beat Iowa and Wisconsin and go eight and four, like I think people will be real happy with that. I think they'll be pretty bummed that we lost to like Nebraska and Northwestern, most likely, or something like that. But I would say eight and four is still. Is is okay, but I think that he's for sure on the hot seat next year. You know, if it plays out how we predicted it, where we go one and two in the last three games, um, I think he starts next season on the hot seat. And like, if things don't, if if we don't get into that double digit win territory, the following season he's probably out. That's my thought because I think eight and four, we've come to be like that's kind of what happens for the Go for Football team. You know, because there are a decent amount of bad Big Ten teams.
0: I just think 8-4 and four is a disappointment. You have a quarterback in Tanner Morgan who has been P.J.'s flex guy since he stepped foot on campus. You have a running back who's on the Heisman watch list going into the season. You have an offensive line that has a bunch of guys with a ton of experience. You have a defensive end, linebacker, edge rusher, in Boye Mafa who might be a top 15 pick next year. It's a roster of all P.J. flex guys the last full season they had, they were what ten and two. they were ranked in the top ten at one point. I think to to come back and look at this schedule and say eight and four is a success, I think this is a year where they have everything set up to make a run at the Big Ten West. so I, I think if it's not nine and three, ten and two, I think it's a letdown.
1: But I do think that. We we should consider that if if they if the schedule plays out how we predicted at eight and four and we beat Iowa, lose to Indiana, lose to Wisconsin, like we will be in contention, right, for like the the Big Ten West title still. Because our two losses in the West would be Wisconsin and Indiana, I believe. And I mean, there's a good chance that 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 may get you second in the West, which I mean I'm not saying second's great or anything like that, but but I think there's there there's a lot of parity in the West because there isn't usually one dominant team. Naturally, Wisconsin seems to win the West every year, but the, it's not like they're six and zero and everyone else is like three and three type of thing, you know. So between, I, I would I think Wisconsin will have at least one or two slip up games this year, and just hope to God they're in the West. And then the Gophers are still in contention. Um, but I don't think you're wrong either. I think eight and four is disappointing, but We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I think the secondary is a huge concern for the Gophers. I think you hit on the points of the team that are going to be good, um, but the secondary on the defense is where we're going to, we might get torched, So, which then you might start saying, like, well, that shouldn't matter against Wisconsin quite as much, right? So maybe we match up better against them if our front seven is good. Our secondary sucks. Well, if we can stop Wisconsin's running game, poof, that makes them a lot easier to play against, but... They're just so big.
0: If the Gophs win on Thursday, do we run this back? And then are they are they undefeated? No. <laughs> the the thing
1: is is like it's it's the big picture. You like take a step back and say like these are like eighteen to twenty two year olds. Like I think we've talked about that with college sports. It's really hard to predict, and that's what makes it so fun. Is because. These guys might just be going through some shit at age of nineteen and ha and, and the team lays an egg against a Northwestern or a Maryland or um or a bowling green, heaven forbid. But um that's what makes it so interesting is like the team they might be playing, maybe Ohio State comes out and lays an egg. You know, something happens in the locker room that throws them off and, and all of a sudden Minnesota has an opportunity. I think it all depends on how they play. Like if if it's just an ugly game and the Gophers win, I think I think a lot of people will be like, "Oh, here we go, national title contention." But I think people who like watch football enough will say like that was that was the worst game Ohio State has played in 13 years or whatever it is and like we should be a little wary. But if we win that game and we win it like in a shootout, oh god, watch out. I'm going to be on the bandwagon so hard. Cuz if we beat Ohio State in their style of football in a shootout, <laughs> good night.
0: Grab your oars, baby. Yeah. There's going to be oars in the water, son. Oh, yeah. So do we want to move to the pups? Some hot takes this week coming out of the athletic, Isaiah.
2: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of gauge everybody's temperature on this. Uh, David Aldrich of... uh, sideline 2K reporting fame sort of came out with his off-season rankings. Um, And just to clarify, he's just ranking how he thinks every team did in their off-season. He's not like projecting how they'll be next year or like how they were last year. He's just saying off-season moves, which includes like if you had a guy hurt coming back, he counts that as an off-season move. Anyways, he had the Timberwolves ranked dead last in off-season moves this year just going into next season as it lays right now. That includes the Patrick Beverly trade. Uh, Just wanted to kind of see how you guys felt about that. Do you think that feels low, feels unnecessary? Like, do the moves that uh, is adding Torian Prince and Patrick Beverly really going to help the Timberwolves this next year? And he was saying they're not. It's just not going to move the needle enough.
1: My initial thoughts is that I, I kind of agree with him. Like, I think we still have to address the power forward position, right? Like, to me, that seems like a huge concern. And it feels like a lot of good teams have good power forwards that can, you know, stretch the floor a little bit, but also can get inside rebound and play defensively well, especially next to Cat, who I feel like it's pretty well known now that he, his defending is not always in tip-top shape. So to have a power forward that can either stretch the floor on offense or like play really good defense to me would improve the, you know, the off season rankings here considerably. So my initial thoughts are like, I don't think it moved the needle a ton to bring in Pat Bev and Torian Prince.
0: I guess if I'm, if he's taking into account players returning from injury I guess D'Lo and Cat weren't technically out at the end of last season. Because if you're saying, you know, now we get a full season of D'Lo and Cat, which we didn't have last year, that moves the needle. But in terms of additions, I have a hard time thinking they were the absolute worst in the NBA. Like, maybe, you know, they're not top 10. I'm not saying they're top 10, top 15 even. But worst in the NBA? Like, the Pelicans lost Lonzo Ball for nothing. They swapped Steven Adams for... Jonas Valanciunas, Like, You can think of a couple teams who like probably got worse. And I wouldn't say the Wolves got worse. Because you could argue Rubio's a better player than Beverly, but Beverly, I think we've talked about, fits what they're trying to do a little more than Rubio did. And I think Torian Prince, if you're comparing him to Wancho and Jarrett Culver, I think he brings more. So I think the Wolves, yeah, they might not be a five seed in the West this year but I think they got better I don't know I have a tough time saying that they're the worst in basketball I'd have to run down all the teams lists but that seems a little bit aggressive to say like of all the teams in the NBA the Wolves come in at 30
2: yeah I think his uh ranking was a little bit skewed because he included the loss of the draft picks so he included the fact that the Wolves lost a draft pick in the offseason I think that sort of weighted down his ranking of our offseason. And he also didn't include the pending acquisition of Leandro Balmero, who I've noted. I'm excited about that. And it sounds like that's going to happen this season for the Wolves. So I think adding him will also kind of, it'd be three guys that marginally improve the team at least. So And that's all we're looking for at this point.
0: Just those national writers overlooking Minnesota, discounting everything we do. Sick and tired of it. And
1: that's why we're here. That's
2: why we're here. Yeah, Kaka ranked like uh, at 84, I want to say, in the new 2K. So that tells you all you need to know.
1: Dalton's pissed.
2: Yeah, Dalton's steaming. We'll move on before we get too mad there. Um...
0: Play the rage music.
1: (laughs) Let's air it out. Let's air (laughs) out the grievance, doll. Let's hear it.
0: No, I don't think I have a well-formulated take, but I feel like there are just some players in the NBA who, if their team is doing bad and they're doing well, the narrative is they are carrying the team and nobody's helping them. And then there are players on the flip side of if they're doing well and their team is doing poorly, it's just empty numbers, empty numbers, empty numbers. And I don't know why some players get those... Like I don't know why certain players get one attached to them versus the other. Like Cat is very much like an empty numbers guy now, according to all media people, and he's just overlooked by everybody. Is it his leadership style?
2: Uh, I think it's his age, his experience, and his leadership style. Like he's that more reserved. He's now like the bona fide leader of the team, and he is in his seventh year. I think all of those factors lead to. It's a um it's a empty numbers guy versus like he used to be this dude is the future, like this dude this is dude. leading the team, like everything he's doing is sweet. sweet. But as he's kind of progressed, he's been expected to do more and the team has done equal or less. So then it's like empty number those numbers were all empty.
1: Here's one interesting thing. So I'm looking at it, at his ranking right now, and it looks like they may have increased it to 87. So he's like the 17th highest ranked player in 2K. But he was 92 years ago, 88 last year, and now 87 this year. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it, that they have him like decreasing in his overall? Not like he's on the back end of his career. This is according to 2Krankings.com. But like, I guess some of the players just comparison-wise. So like, he's right behind Chris Middleton, Rudy Gobert, Bradley Beal, Zion, and then he's right ahead of Levine, Sabonis, Jamal Murray, Drew Holiday. Is that? Do you think that's appropriate, or do you think that's low ranked? That's actually pretty good.
2: I think that's pretty good. It the number might not be great but i feel like his the people he's around feels pretty good
1: yeah because they only have like 11 players at 90 or above like jason tatum is the 11th and then it's tough to argue after that (laughs) they're pretty good honest though number three lebron's still number one um but yeah so i just thought that was interesting that they had him decreasing year to year It doesn't feel right because his he's added so much
2: offensively over those like three years. Like he's just improved his shooting has improved so much. He already had an incredible like low post game. Um, he's taken on more of the offense and still been able to like put up consistent numbers. And he's also definitely increased defensively over that time. So I feel like him decreasing, like it actually might be 2K as a whole, trying to be more realistic with their rankings of like just giving it more thought to like who is actually elite in the game of basketball in the nba and trying to separate them more from the guys who are like not quite at that level and i think that might be for me an explanation of the decrease like you'd have to look at the trend of all players in 2k are is it everybody's moving down a little bit because they're trying to like recalibrate their rankings
0: I love watching NBA players get their 2K rating revealed to them because every one of them is pissed. Like unless they're like a ninety-eight, every guy is mad. Like it's like Kevin Porter Jr. got like you know, he's a good player for the Rockets, but you're on the worst team in basketball and you're like one of their leading scores. He's pissed that he's like a seventy-eight or something. What like he thinks he's like a ninety-two. I'm like, look around, guy. It's just it's just funny. Oh All right, finally, let's touch on the Twins. First off, Kenta Maeda, probably going to have Tommy John surgery, which is an absolute dagger because next season's rotation was going to be Maeda, probably Bailey Ober, and then question mark. So right now, Bailey Ober's holding down the rotation, which hurts. But hey, 2023. Yeah our year that was your
2: day yeah that was your year you predicted that and it's just looking better and better
0: that'll be Maeda's last year under his current contract twins got to go all in for 2023
2: you're gonna get the best version of him guys are better off Tommy John it's usually year two though but he'll be playing for that contract contract year you get that little bump and he's trying to prove something we're gonna get a great Kenta Maeda in 2023
1: yeah, that's. Uh, I'm excited for that. Um, not you excited, sound I, excited. Wowie. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, excited for 2023. Um, but next year is going to be an abysmal season for the Twins, I think. The way it's laid out right now, I should say. It's looking rough. Um, yeah, it's just it, it might, it, we're going to be taking our lumps next year. <laughs>
2: Do either of you feel like the twins sort of bundled Kenta Maeda this year, the, his whole season? It feels like he was hurt kind of all year. And I feel like from an outside perspective, they kind of knew. Like, I think he was hurt coming into the season. If you look at his, like, statistics early in the season and just even the way that he was pitching did not, it looked vastly different from uh, 2020. Just his command of all of his pitches, his command of the zone was consistently off. Like, he was missing badly which like his walk numbers weren't crazy in those first few games but him missing badly you didn't see that at all in 2020 or even most of his career so i think just from that perspective obviously 2020 vision uh you know looking back he probably was not at full health at that point in the season and like they shut him down fairly early in may for a good period of time so, I think they kind of had a an inkling that he might not be at full health. And then they brought him back again, and it might have been too early. Um, do, do either of you feel like the twins sort of like blew this? And like at that point, you kind of had a feeling that they weren't going to be great when you bring them back in early June. Like the twins were already trending pretty poorly. Obviously, you can't give up on the season then. But like, how do you feel about the idea that the twins st- like, management knew something was off before they came to this final conclusion, which now is happening almost in September, which means you do lose all of 2022 versus if you had done it sooner, you could have gotten back for like the end of next year or something like that. How do you guys feel about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we're speculating, but there were rumors of elbow fatigue and arm soreness for him for like multiple starts. And then he kept saying he was fine were the reports. So they kept throwing him out there. And then eventually he had like three bad starts in a row. So they put him on the 10-day IL. But then he came back basically at the end of 10 days. I think he missed one, maybe two starts. And like you mentioned, like the season was basically out of hand. So it's hard to say what they knew and what they didn't just because of where we're at. But just shut him down for like a month. You know, Let let him heal, let him rest. they were in last place in the division after like a month and I know they tried to hold on. So like, I can't really fault them for like May, maybe early June, but once you get into like July, I don't know, just kick this season to the curb and like start looking to the future.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's like, I, I understand trying to make that last ditch effort in June, but when you get into, you know, close nearing the all-star break, I think most teams generally know where they sit. And I think the moves made at the deadline indicated we were not going to make a push. So to continue to like send them out there with potential injury thoughts, I don't know, it's just, again, the speculation, but it just seems like it was kind of a bad
0: play. However, to backtrack a little bit, I know they were potentially packaging him in deadline deals. So it might've been a scenario where He's not feeling great, but he hasn't been pitching well. But if we can get him out there and he can have one or two starts in a row, then we can ship him off and then his elbow is someone else's problem.
1: Yeah.
2: That was my other thought on this, was his elbow an issue at the trade deadline with teams? Because I know he was kind of included in talks with a lot of teams, like the Mets, I know were one of them for sure. And it kind of always felt like it fell through and like it was like, oh, it was just money or like couldn't come to terms as a... Like the Twins knew at that point, and then maybe the Mets knew, or something like that. Like, hey, he's not at full strength this season, um, so that feels weird too. Of like, again, if you if at that point you knew other teams didn't want him because they were worried about his elbow, and you kind of are a little bit worried about his elbow, why do you still let him go for the rest of the season, which is a definitively lost at that point? Mm-hmm. It's tough though you know, it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of different, uh, scenarios that go into running a club and trying to figure out what to do with guys. And it's, there's no X do this, Y do that type scenario. You kind of, you have to feel it. And if he keeps saying he's fine, he keeps saying he's fine. Like you have to, at some point trust the athlete that they know their body. Like as a, if you're the medical staff, like you can't tell him how he feels, even though you're worried about something.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, is you don't know how severe his injury is unless he's telling you. And maybe maybe even part of him was just like, oh, it's it's not as bad as as I don't know what injury history he potentially has, but maybe he was like, Oh, this is not as bad as what I've previously had, so I'm I'm probably fine. Um, so yeah, definitely can't really put it on the medical staff, obviously, but maybe the coaching staff doesn't know that either. And so they trot him out there thinking he's just having soreness muscle soreness more than anything and ends up spiraling out of control and like playing baseball you know there's always guys who are like that who will
2: consistently play with a little bit of hurt like they don't feel right unless they're a little bit of hurt so it's it's a tricky one when it comes to baseball players they have i think all sports actually but there's just guys who are more capable of with standing a little bit more pain or they can deal with it in a certain way or it's just always been there for them so like if it weren't there it'd feel weird because then you have like Nelson Cruz who had that forearm thing where they're like this probably needs surgery but he's like no I can play through it and just keeps hitting home runs and doubles and being great so I mean obviously pitching is different than hitting but there is some piece to this where you just kind of have to trust the player and it didn't work out this time.
0: All right, so last thing on the twins. There was some. This actually got a little bit of national attention. Some Twitter beef between the twins and former Twins pitcher Frank Viola, who ripped him on Twitter this week. He had a nice old man tweet, in my opinion. So here we go. Frank Viola tweeted: the twins have forgotten what baseball is all about. Dot dot dot. Fundamentals, the belief in each other, the love of the daily grind. Dot dot dot. You don't have baseball people leading this attitude and approach. You have a losing organization. Wrong leadership equals no chance to succeed. You guys have thoughts on this?
2: Who's he talking about?
0: He's talking about Valvi Levine, Rocco. Everyone. He doesn't like analytics, guys. This is classic old man yelling out his back door, get off my lawn. It
1: to me this tweet's convenient. Like he wasn't doing this when we when we had the Bomba squad. So like it's like now it fits his narrative. So now he's upset about it. But like didn't analytics work that year? Like well, isn't that fair to say that like he wasn't firing off these tweets when things were going well for the twins? So it's kind of a convenient time for him to like. oh well, now I can make my stance now that the the analytics is not working out the way they want it to now i can kind of make my make my approach at it but i get it that's how it happens um one thing that's a little curious is his use of four dots for the ellipses yes (laughs) um i don't know if there's a period at the end of the ellipses uh but when you do it twice you really start to wonder if he doesn't understand how that works because i'm an ellipses guy so i can i'm on board with this i like using them i think there's a there's a when you're reading it, there's just an anticipation to get to what's next. So I love the use of it, but four dots is not an ellipses. It's an ellipses and a period at the end. And that doesn't make any sense. So first of all, Frank, maybe learn English, Burkitis. Um Just kidding. Easy, sweet music. You're cool, man. Um, but yeah, I think this is a very much get off my lawn. Old man take of like, he doesn't want the game to change from what he knows it is. But the thing about it is the game's always changing and, people from previous generations not everyone but certain people are always going to be against the change at the end of the day analytics is the future of baseball i think that's probably fair to say at this point every most teams have gotten into it so frank sit back enjoy your rocking chair on your porch and uh just try to appreciate the things that you do have
0: i don't understand the take like the twins have forgotten about fundamentals I don't, I never get that because they try to hit home runs and because they're shifting guys. It's a weird time to tweet it too, because like the Twins in the last month have actually been playing well. Like they've won four of their last six series against like four division leading teams.
1: Is he talking about like bunting? Is that like his point here? Like fundamentals is like bunting, moving guys over. And that's his issue. Cause like, and maybe I don't know the answer to this, but are we playing horrible defense? And that's what he's referring to? I don't know. But um, yeah, it's, the fundamentals piece is weird. To elaborate on that would be great. Frank, if you want to come on and discuss more in detail, that'd be great. We'd love to have you. I've got... Okay, so I
2: get everything that you guys have said. It is a little bit old man yelling at clouds type scenario. But we talked last week about Minnesota fans don't hold their franchises accountable. Sometimes they don't hold themselves accountable. But in this scenario, I feel like this tweet has a very East Coast vibe to it. And if you know baseball, the East Coast is ruthless when it comes to talking about their teams. And it's that idea of like, we're going to get on them because we have higher expectations for them than they have of themselves type thing. And it's a very what have you done for me lately type tweet too like cuz if you look at these the records of the management and uh Baldelli like they have made the playoffs consistently they've kind of rebuilt a roster like re-jump started an entire franchise that was kind of like towards the end with Molitor like it was falling apart apart right? So mm-hmm. They've had success. Like this isn't just been brutal, but they're having a bad year. And that's so Yankee fan, so Boston fan, so Mets fan energy, so Phillies fan energy. Like to be like, nah, you guys suck. Like, let's get somebody new in here who can who can figure it out because these guys don't have it. And it's just talking about this year, which I kinda like, you know, let's get some more of that of like just blasting our teams when they're bad. We need to blast our teams a little bit more. So I'm with you, Frank.
0: I'm fine with him blasting the team, but point to something tangible. Like he's pointing to things that nobody can prove or disprove. Like fundamentals. There's no baseball team in the world that's like, hey guys, forget about the fundamentals and go out there and play hit home runs. Like nobody's saying forget about the fundamentals. The belief in each other. That's not any what are you even talking about? And the love Unity. of the daily grind. Like these are just things you can't argue with him because he's not right or wrong. He's just saying nothing
2: group of guys just punching in and punching out working for the weekend is what he's seeing
0: like if he's saying you're striking out too much you're not throwing first pitch strikes like things that you can actually be like okay those are good points frank that is a problem the belief in each other and love of the game like come on those are
1: fundamentals if you're not if he's not in the locker room like on a you know at least a weekly basis how can you say that there's no belief in each other you know what I mean? Or like, how can you say there's no love of the daily grind? Like, that's a great point. Dalton. Those are blanket statements. And yeah, there's nothing there. Yeah. And, and there's no character limitations on Twitter
2: anymore. So he could have got into it, right, folks? <laughs> Seriously, people forget about that.
0: But yeah, the, the you don't have baseball people leading this attitude and approach. That That's a direct shot at like, I don't like analytics. I like the bunt and steal and throw 140 pitches a start. 1970s baseball
2: and as an academic Dalton you take personal affront to that statement right nerd
0: (laughs) I mean everyone points to the Rays as like one of the best-run organizations in sports and I can't speak for their love of the game and belief in each other but yeah you better not they're not exactly an old-school approach I would recommend going to his Twitter and scrolling through it because it is pretty funny and it is like old man watching baseball tweeting what's ever on his mind. He's tweeting about random games like NL teams pulling their pitcher after he's thrown 75 pitches and getting pissed off about that. But back in the day, you let them go as long as they want to go.
1: It's their game.
2: Let them have it. This is a fun weekly segment we've got going. Like our, The mini market Twitter recommendations.
0: Yeah, we're big Twitter pie. Tweet and greet with the Mini Market Pod. Should we leave it there this week? We'll leave it and run with that. Thanks for tuning into the Mini Market Podcast brought to you by Tell'em Sports. And check out our blog at tellemsports.com. A lot of good content on there. New stuff coming consistently. So we will see you next week.
1: Go Wolves.
2: Lou, we love you you and we miss you.
0: Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.